morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? The number is 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that number. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. That'd be just the thing to do. That's it. Now's a great time to call. That's right. We've got plenty of time. We can always get you in-depth answer. And we get lots and lots of folks who send us email and... Certainly nothing wrong with that either, but you don't get as, I guess, as personal an answer. Right. You get an email, you send an email out, and you say, well, don't, I forgot to ask this. Well, you got to sit down and write a whole other email. <laughs> right. Whereas when you're speaking in person, then something occurs to you, you while you're talking. Someone tells you something, and then that spurs something else. So it's just a little, I guess, a little more fluid type communication, a little bit easier. And this is the only way it's possible is to give us a call on the show. And if you don't do it today, mm-hmm. Your next chance will be after January 1st. That's right, because, of course, with the holidays coming up, we'll be out to have recorded shows the next two weeks. That's right. If you got something on your mind, now Now. is the time to talk about it. (laughs) That's (laughs) for sure. Go ahead and get it on out there. We touched last week just a little bit, kind of been going on in my mind now. We're talking about the methods of maintaining a car, and there are two primary methods. I guess opposing methods. One, of course, is taking care of the car so that it lasts as long as it can and gives you the lowest overall operating cost. And the other is what we call run to fail. Correct. And there are some, I guess, a lot of people, probably more people practicing run to fail than there are the other. And we, we maybe see that a work, lot of it. Yeah, maybe that works out for them for whatever reasons. But I'd like to kind of go a little bit more into the differences there and the cost both ways and uh-huh. what this show is about is maintenance and lowering the overall cost so of owning your automobile right if you fall into the other category where for whatever reasons you prefer the other method you're probably not gonna get a whole lot out of the show right I mean, you might listen for entertainment value but <laughs> you, most of the things we're talking about are geared towards the other and extreme. you know you can take a lot of what we're talking about and mm-hmm. apply it to different parts of your life well that's right and you would be surprised how well it works out i know i have well yeah i mean it's sort of like if you buy a better pair of shoes and you maintain them. You take and you get some shoes for each form to suck the moisture out when you when park wearing them. them right. You polish them on a regular basis and you don't walk through the water and so on. Is that with them? They could possibly last you a lifetime, certainly 20, 30 years. Right. As opposed to going buy a new pair of 80 or $90 shoes every six, eight months. Couple of years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And because <laughs> I know shoes don't last like they used to. No, they're. Well, I mean, they don't cost that much, I guess, relative to what a good a good pair of leather shoes in a name brand, say Allen Edmonds or something, you may spend three to $400 for a pair of shoes. Sure. But then you've got a pair of shoes that's going to last you a long, long time if you take care of them, and then you can send them back to Allen Edmonds, and they'll recraft them for you. That's, that's put, wonderful. Put a new sole, new welts in them, and polish them up, come back looking like brand new. So it's just two different philosophies and as you well put it could be a car it could be anything in your life sure it can basically use the same type of a procedure we're going to our phone lines with paul good morning paul long, yes long time fan i give out your business card to everybody i meet my only hobby is car maintenance there so you go. that's all i talk about well good deal but anyway i have a question at exactly 42 miles per hour mm-hmm. on this 93 car bet mm-hmm. i get a tremendous shake and the shakes from the front end and I was curious on various things that might go wrong, like a harmonic balancer, the serpentine belt tensioner, yeah, or maybe flywheel or torque converter well, bolts. Well, all loose. of those, all those are falling down easy, Herman Paul, because all you have to do is get the car to forty-two miles an hour when it's doing it, mm-hmm. put it in neutral. 
Okay. Okay. And let, it, let it coast. And let it coast at 42 miles an hour. Or get up to 45, let it coast back down through 42. If the vibration is gone, forget everything you mentioned. Because all of that stuff will slow down when the motor slows down. But the vehicle will still travel the same speed. So that's the first thing you need to do is get it up to, say, 45, kick it in neutral, let it coast down through the 42-mile-an-hour range. If the vibration is still there, you're into something in the suspension. Okay. Okay? Now, if the vibration is gone, then you're either into something on the engine, like you mentioned, or something in the drive line. The way you would isolate that is notice the exact RPM that is occurring at 42 miles an hour. Let's say it's 2,700 RPM. Okay. Then with the car sitting still, bring it to 2,700 RPM and see if you can duplicate the problem. If it will do it sitting still at that RPM, now you're into something that's on the motor or the torque converter or, or something like that. Right. You if forget you, about the drive. The, right. If you cannot, then odds are it's going to be something in the drive line. So that one little test or two little tests will break it down by at least a magnitude of one-third. Then you can start checking things from there. But you got to do those tests before you go any further. Right. You don't want to just start throwing things yeah. at it. Could it be this? Yeah. Could it be this? Yeah. I mean, we could talk for the next six hours about things that could be and not ever get even close to the problem. So you're going to have to know what it is you're going after, and that's the way you're going to determine that. Okay. So I go up to like 45 miles an hour. Right. Put it neutral and let it coast back down to 42. Just let, okay. let your foot off the gas, right. kick it neutral, and let it coast. Right. And if it is still there, it is something in the suspension because the motor is not turning at that speed and the drive line is unloaded. Okay. And if so, if it's if it's go if, if it's, it's not- gone, then you can forget about the suspension. Now, next thing to do is notice the RPM the engine is turning at 42 mile per hour. Then it, with the car sitting still, bring it to that RPM and see mm-hmm. if you can duplicate it. If you can duplicate it sitting still at that RPM, then it's something on the motor or the flywheel or something like that, something that turns when it's turning. But the car, the wheels and all are not turning at that point. Okay. All righty? All right. Okay, man. That's Thank the way you. you do it. Okay. <laughs> all right, Paul. Bye. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. I two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. And, you know, just simple little tests like that well, that those, an those, experienced technician knows. Well, and – those two tests right there, mm-hmm. any person that's, you know, pretty comparable right. can easily d- do easily do those two tests, mm-hmm. and then he has something to tell or she has something to tell the shop when they get there. You well, know, my car does this at this so, speed. So often what we get is someone will write or email, and let's just, not to pick on Paul, but let's say, okay, I've got a vibration at 42. I've changed. Yak, yeah, yak, yak, right. yak, 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 There's yak, a whole yak. list of things And they rattle off $1,500 stuff they've changed. Sure. Well, why did you do that? Why didn't you do these two little tests? Because yeah, is that, they're that easy. So I changed the harmonic balancer. I changed this. I changed this, and it's all still there. Well, you didn't have to do any of that. Right. You will get all the time. People will call, and they'll say, you know, my car won't start, and I've changed the fuel pump. I've changed uh-huh. this. I've changed this. I've changed this. Okay, well, why'd you do that? Right. Because a simple fuel pressure test could have told you the fuel pump was bad or not. You didn't have to change it. I mean, you could have had a loose wire from the relay to the pump. It could have bad fuel pump relay. It right. may be fuel pump at all. I mean, it could be a ignition control module. It could be a cam sensor. I mean, there's, there's so many things today on today's vehicles oh, that sure. can cause a vehicle not to start. Dozens and dozens of things. Right. Back in the day when we had points and coils right. and carburetors, right. I mean, it was pretty easy. Well, you could pull yeah. the plug wire off, crank, and see if you got a spark. But no I mean, spark, with call on plug, you can't do that. That's right. You can't see if you got a spark or not. And you can't look down the carburetor and see if you got fuel. Exactly. So it's just a little more difficult. It takes a little bit of rudimentary test equipment. But 
if you have to pay someone to run these tests, it is still going to be oh much cheaper, far far and away cheaper than just going in, changing parts, hoping to fix it. Well, and not only that, but you may be taking off good parts and replacing them with not so good well, parts. Well, that's correct. You may be creating problem. a problem. I had a gentleman that towed a, I think it was a, a little GM SUV of some sort. A trailblazer, wasn't it? Trailblazer, it was. You got uh-huh. it. Towed a little trailblazer in, and, and I was really proud of him because he says, I listen to the radio show. He says, my car won't start. Somebody told me it might be this, it might be that. He says, but I'm smarter than all that. Right. So, sure enough, he brings it in, and within... 45 minutes we had isolated the pcm had failed sure so it wasn't sending a signal to the fuel pump it was not sending a signal to the injectors so what it would do is it would act like it was trying to start but it would die immediately sure and change the pcm wham problem solved so you know is a pcm expensive yeah i guess it was three four hundred dollars however that's a whole lot cheaper than spending 500 for a fuel pump you didn't need i was gonna say might not be as good as the one you took out right spending another couple the hundred time. on this yeah and the time to do it all and i mean you waste the weekend doing all that and still hadn't fixed the problem exactly at all because you got to fix the problem where the problem is right that's <laughs> for fact so yeah one simple little test and, and a lot of times you can limit that's the only reason to do testing like that right hey we we'll take a quick little break and we'll be right back with more on the automotive hour I get you. Hey, Lewis Alzan, Magco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and you won't believe the people calling in to congratulate us. Hey, Lewis, it's Jay. You, you know, I'm in the cars myself, and 40 years of business is amazing, just amazing. You know, if I still had my show, I'd have you in the interview chat just like that. Mr. Altazan, congratulations from your old pal Jack. 40 years is quite an accomplishment, and that's the truth. I should know... Because I can handle the truth. Uh, uh, Lewis, it's, it's me, Oz. 40 years. I, I can't even... Bloody amazing. Sharon, where's my cell phone? Oh, that's right. I, I, I'm on it. Now I've got to find my glasses. Well, it's been really nice getting all these calls. I guess in this day and age, people really appreciate an automotive repair shop that does good work and will never steal your own. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldezant, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, we sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And if you got anything on your mind, you just give us a call. It's 291-6901. Should you maybe happen to think of something after we go off the air or maybe next week, That's sometime right. during the week, you mm-hmm. can always go to the website and hit your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it on in. There you go. And we sure appreciate it when you do. We always like hearing from folks. We're talking about diagnostics and stuff like that, and uh-huh. had a fellow that had emailed, I think it was this morning, and he was talking kind of a similar sort of a thing. He's got a shutter about 42 to 45 miles an hour, right? and he was thinking that it could possibly be a torque converter shutter, which it sounds very much like it is, and he was asking some questions about service transmission. Of course, there are many detailed articles on the website. If you just go in and type in proper transmission service. Mm-hmm. Virtually everything you want to know about transmission service is already listed on there. So certainly don't mind you sending me an email. But if you go on there, it's going to be much more information than I have time to go into in an email or, right. or to repeat again. But specifically one question that he had that I've seen over and again is that a lot of 
dealerships, you go in to buy a filter for your transmission because you want to service it. Right. And they'll tell you, oh, that has a screen. It doesn't have a filter. And that's sort of a, I guess, just a ridiculous thing. It's strictly a matter of semantics. Many of the Japanese cars, they refer to the filter as a screen. Correct. It's just a word. It's just a term. It's still a filter. Mm -hmm. And I've even had them say, well, you can clean this. Well, obviously, they've never looked at a transmission filter. Right. Because the, the way it's made, it's, it's well, actually. Well, the fluid yeah, it goes in through the inside and flows out through like the outside. Sock. So it captures anything inside the filter. There's no way to possibly clean it. Right. And most of them are sealed up, so you couldn't get in to clean it even if you could. Well, you, you can get into them, but you, you've ruined them then. Well, I mean, yeah, you, yeah, you got to break, break them open to get into the sock part of correct. it. Correct. And why would you even want to? I mean, an expensive transmission filter is probably $35, $40. Right. And most of them are a lot less than that. And we like to go ahead and go into them like that we after do. we service one because you can open the filter up. And you can see what types of trash the right. filter has collected. But that's Whether, a diagnostic procedure. Exactly. You're not trying to clean it no, at that point. No, we are not trying to clean it. You can take the old filter, break it open. And, again, that's another re good reason to change the filter because once you break the old filter open, it's sort of like doing an autopsy on a dead person uh -huh. where you maybe take their cut the kidneys open and look inside. All of the poisons, all of the things are going to be in the liver and the kidneys and the different filters in the human body. Uh -huh. Same thing with the transmission. If you cut that filter open, dissect it, and look inside, and you see a bunch of brass and steel particles or right. chunks of metal or whatever, a piece of a spring. Yeah, you know you're not far from this unit failing. Pretty close to the end on it. And so the person can make a decision, hey, I'm just going to keep on nursing along and go like I'm going, or I'm going to go ahead and have it rebuilt now before it fails and leaves me, or uh -huh. whatever his choice may be or their choice may be. But the point is, by doing that, you're gaining a whole lot more information sure. than you would have if you just – say, flush the transmission out, which is absolutely useless. And a lot of times it causes more problems than well, you have but you when can you go in. agitate the debris in the bottom of the pan, further restrict the filter, and you're not getting the, – the big thing about a flush is, well, you're getting all the fluid out. But no, you're not. not. You're not even getting close, probably not getting as much out with a flush as you do by a drain and fill. Sure. On some of your newer units, there's thermostat mm -hmm. on that line – on the, the cooler, cooler line. That's right. And what happens is until that fluid reaches a certain temperature – right, it's not going to open anyway. It's not going to open. So, and they tie into the cooler lines, it's just going to flow around in a circle in the cooler. Well, and see, the cooler is just one circuit out of four or five. The biggest portion of the fluid is coming up through the filter into the pump, and it's going through the regulator, and it's being dumped right back into the pan because that pump can produce way more pressure than the transmission needs, particularly at an idle when uh -huh. they're doing this procedure. So the majority of the fluid is simply being pumped in a circle. Right. It's coming up, going through the pump, dumping right back into the pan, so what you're doing is you're circulating the dirty fluid inside the pan. Now, if you start to dump clean fluid into that dirty pan, it just takes clean fluid, mixes it with dirty, and dumps it right back in the pan again. So you right. just pump it in a circle. The remainder of the fluid goes out. Part of it goes to a lubrication circuit. Part of it goes to the clutches. Part of it goes to the torque converter. And then another part of it goes out to the cooler line, which is what you're interrupting. Correct. So you're catching about a fifth of the fluid coming out taking that out, putting that much clean fluid back into the dirty pan full of dirty fluid. And, and a lot of the clean fluid is just going right back through it. You're just circulating it back out and taking it right back out again. So you're not getting anywhere close no. to all of the fluid out with, no. with a flush. It just doesn't happen. I know they tell you that and try to sell it to you because the whole point behind a flush is that, number one, a B or C tech can operate this little machine rather than an A tech it takes to do a proper service. 
And number two, they can hook this little machine and walk off, go do something else, and charge you full price. Sure. So while they're, they're doing, while they're collecting twice the, the right, amount they're, of labor, they're, they're making a lot of money doing it, and that's why most of the major manufacturers like GM and everyone else has come out against. Sure. Flushes. They they, they sent out a tech service bulletin: do not flush our unit. Right. Do not flush the unit. Just do a proper service or leave it alone. Right. You know, it's just one of those things, those little urban legends that circulate around out there. <laughs> a lot of money to be made on it. Let's go back to our phone lines, Mark. Good morning, Mark. Hey, how you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Good. Look, I got a transmission question, and it's an an 09 Tundra, Uh 4.7 liter engine, automatic transmission, Mm -hmm. and I'm developing a shutter between 35, 42 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. And anyway, I wrote to you, and you you wrote me back, you know, that you probably think it's a torque converter problem. It probably Uh, is. Yeah, it's... You know know how you can confirm that, Mark, is if... When it's doing it, if you can keep your foot on the accelerator and lightly touch the brake pedal with the other foot, uh-huh. it'll quit immediately if it's torque converter because it, go, okay, it goes out of lockup. Okay, I'm going to try that. Mm-hmm. That'll, it's happening so fast. I mean, it's like... Yeah, it's just like run a little cattle garden road. Right, and I mean, it lasts like a second. Yeah, and I think I, you know, I would, the first thing I would try would be to go in and do a proper service on it. Because okay. that's what new conditioner and stuff in the unit, and that solves a lot of those. That is my question to you. Mm-hmm. I've got it scheduled to bring it in, and you know they're going to look at it, but they're addressing all kind of problems with it. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate guessing. Mm-hmm. So, but but I, I think I'm just going to bring it to you and let you go ahead and do a proper transmission, fluid change, or whatever you know. Well, and see and another. See where I'm at for yeah, this. another advantage to doing that, Mark, is that when you've got the pan off and the filter out, you can break the old filter open, like we we're talking about a second ago. Look uh-huh. inside the filter. Now, let's say we've got a half a snap ring laying in the filter and yep. a bunch of clutch material. Well, we know right there at that point. If you want, we put another filter on, put pan back on, button it up. Or you can go ahead and address the problem or whatever, but it's going to give you a lot more insight. So if the pan is nice and clean, there's no debris in it, and the pressures look pretty good, you know, we might want to torque the valve body bolts while we're in there. And if it's getting the code for a solenoid, we can look at that solenoid, check it, make sure we've got a good connection at the solenoid, make sure the wiring harness isn't bad, the solenoid isn't bad, because certainly while you're there, it's much easier to change that at the same time. Uh-huh. But, you know, that's where you need to start with that. Okay, well, that, that's my question, because I'm going to go ahead and schedule a service date with you rather than bring it to Toyota, because yes. like I said, they're guessing. Yeah, a lot of times And, and I'd do. rather you guess. I, I believe your guess is better than their <laughs> guess. Well, I, I guess a whole lot less, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, okay, well, that's that's what I'm going to do. But that code, that 2757 code, mm-hmm. is like some kind of torque converter, solenoid. Solenoid, yes. Some, yeah. some, some, mm-hmm. And also that VSC, the Vehicle Stabilization Control, you know, it won't turn on or it won't turn off. Yes, sir. Right. You know, that little light flashes, and See, I think it has something to do with that also. Well, whenever you got an active code in memory, the VSC can't communicate with the other computers, so that's going to be the first light that comes on. Even when you get, like, a check engine light, yeah, it's going to throw the VSC light on right. also because uh-huh. it can't communicate any longer because VSC has to communicate with all the other computers. That's, that's how it operates. Yeah, that's the way uh, so, pro- Toyota program that right. unit. You always address the other codes first and then clear them and then see if the VSC remains. If it does, then you go after that. But it's, it's a secondary type of code. Okay, well, I'm going to get it into you ASAP as okay. soon as I can. I'll call you Monday. Monday. Real quick question. Could I get an inspection sticker with that code light being on? You should because the, the check not engine light should related. not, yeah, check engine light shouldn't be on. With a, in other words, only a zero series code, like a P0 something, is going to turn a light on. Like a P1 uh-huh. something or a P2 something or manufacturer's codes, those generally uh-huh. will not set the light, and so you could still get a sticker. I got you. 
Okay. All right. Good deal. Thanks All right, man. All right, Mark. Thanks, man. Thank bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive. I would love to have you. And we've got Curtis online. Good morning, Curtis. Good morning, gentlemen. Yes, Good sir. morning. All right. I got a bit of a problem. It's a 99 Nissan Maxima. I do a little work on cars, okay. but I kind of over-talk myself with this I woman, and I'm trying to impress her. There you go. <laughs> it's a thermostat replacement, and it's three boats. The three nuts and bolts, and I can't get to it because of, uh, I think it's called the idler pulley bracket. Okay. That's got to come out. That's what the service manual says. The drive belt and the idler pulley bracket have to come may, out. May very well have to, yes, sir. Okay, so, uh, I mean, uh, how do I do that? How do I get that out of the way so I can get to all three of those? Uh, well, it's no different than taking the thermostat thing else off. You just got to look at it, see where the bolts are at, and just remove the bolts. If you've got a service manual, it may tell you how to do it. but It's going to give you a step-by-step yeah, uh, kind of just going to be a matter of it has a serpentine belt on it with a, a tensioner, or does it have a, a manually adjustable belt? Well, it's got belt? the serpentine. And, um, does it have a tensioner, a spring-loaded tensioner, or does it have a manual well, it's got this thing on the top here, and it's round. I think you yes, lose it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you can adjust the tension there. Yeah, okay, so if it's, it's manually manual. adjusted, first thing you have to do is remove the tension on the belt by loosening the adjustment, let that pulley fall in, then take the belt off. Then you can take the remainder of the bolts out, and the bracket comes off. The thermostat will be right under that. Of course, once you put it back, your reverse procedure, put right. thermostat and all on, put the bracket on, and you have to tension that belt again. Okay. Now, that, that belt has a, an adjustable tensioner on it. You, It's got a nut and a long bolt. Right. Okay. The bolt that holds the pulley on holds the tension on that adjustment. Okay. So you, you have to loosen that nut, let that pulley loosen up, and then you can back off on the nut. Right. And the whole thing will move right. in for you. If you just, oh, okay. if you just unscrew the nut, it still won't move. Unscrew. Because, yeah, because the bolt. It goes through the pulley. It's still holding it tight. Right. So you loosen that off. Then when you back off the threaded part, it'll it'll start to release. Well, that's, right. the, that's the key to everything. There you go. That <laughs> it is. Loosening it first. Then that's there you it. go. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if you hadn't changed that belt in a long time, not a bad idea to go ahead and put a new belt on it. You got right, it off anyway. Off. So. Yes, sir. Well, I'll still consider that and talk to her about it. But mm-hmm. I think y'all gave me the key to everything. There right? you go. Right. <laughs> Thank you, sir. All right, Curtis. Well, thanks, right. man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we always love hearing from you. We do. Try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Take one more quick little break and be right back with more. Hi, it's Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. It's our 40-year anniversary, and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide. Good day, and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Louis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. Lewis, it's your nanny. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. Forty years is nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> ho, 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 Lewis. Fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. See, calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, tune to us. We'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 291 6901. That'll get you right straight up to the top of the list and get you an answer, whatever might be bugging you. That's right. And right now is still a great time to call. There you go. Got all our lines open. Got plenty of time to go. That's it. 
You know, I don't know if you have ever walked around a salvage yard, a large oh. salvage yard, and just kind of took a look at all the cars there. And every time I do, it always occurs to me that every one of these beat up, banged up, rusted out old wrecks was somebody's pride and joy one day. At one point, yeah. Somebody Some, bought that vehicle brand that new. That was a brand spanking new vehicle that somebody paid through the nose for. Yep. Sweated blood to pay for. <laughs> That's it. And here it is. And here it is in the junkyard. Right. And if the car is 15, 20 years old, or maybe it's seriously wrecked, well, okay. That's understandable. We understand how this occurred. But what you will notice is a lot of newer cars really aren't that badly damaged. They're just worn out or some major component has failed or right. whatever. And this comes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning of the show. And that's the run to fail type method. And I guess with some things that makes maybe some small measure of sense in that there are a lot of imported products and stuff on the market today that are so cheap that they're just not worth fixing. Right. And more and more things are seemingly becoming that way. They are. And even though they may be not that inexpensive, it's just they don't hold up very long. Well, you know, I remember back in the day you'd buy or your parents bought a TV Mm -hmm. and if they took care of it, you know, kept it yeah. clean and everything, it would still be running today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But Particularly the old black and white TVs, yeah. you just got tired of seeing it. And I mean, if something did happen to it, you could take it to the TV repair guy. He right. could fix it for a couple bucks, and it lasts another. Pop another couple tubes in it. And six or eight years, going. ten years, or whatever. This stuff they build today, Yeah, I mean, well, it's by made, the time. It's it, made with a life cycle in mind. It is. And there is a good reason for that. And more and more cars are coming to the same they are. sort of a venue, I guess I'll call it. And you got to remember, if we look at this, it sort of irritates us when we think about a car only makes 100,000 miles now, whereas we know darn good and well they were making two and 300,000 miles not very many years ago. Right. But a lot of the newer cars, when they get to 100,000 miles, it literally costs more to keep it going than what the car is yeah. worth. And you got to look at it from the perspective of the guys who are selling these cars, who are manufacturing yeah, these cars. They're making them. Because they've got a huge manufacturing facility sitting there. Right. That f- cost is fixed. Let's say it's $3 billion or whatever the number might be. Uh-huh. That factory is there. Right. The land is there. Whether the, it's producing the building cars is there. Or not. That's right. Whether they make one car or 100,000 cars, that cost is fixed. Correct. Again, more and more today with union contracts and, I guess, ethical management, you can't just lay people off like they did years ago. Mm-hmm. I know back in the 50s and 40s when car sales would start to slow down for us, they'd lay all auto workers off. Uh-huh. Well, the way they've got the union contracts and stuff now that if you lay a guy off, you're going to just about pay him his full salary anyway. Right. So you might as well have him working. So, again, your labor costs are well, roughly fixed. fixed. Right. So... It's going to cost you X dollars to have this plant sitting here, whether you're making cars or not. Now, when you get cars up to a certain price, not just everybody can afford to run out every three to five years and buy a new one. Uh I mean, cars now, a cheap car now is in the $30,000 range. Sure. Expensive cars, 70, 80, 90, maybe even more. Average cars probably close to forty, forty-five thousand dollars $45,000. Right. I mean, a new Tahoe is $65,000. Yeah, exactly. That's a lot of cheese for the Shoot. average working guy to go out and plop down every three to five years or right. six or years, however, however long it takes to get 100,000 miles. So if you're in this predicament, you've got this huge facility sitting here. It's costing you this much. It's all fixed. 
we have got to think of ways to, to sell cars. Well, we got to wring more money out of the American public. That's, uh-huh. that's all it is. I mean, we've got to sell cars. Now, you add to the mix that there are more and more people making cars. Sure. And some of them are pretty decent cars. So there's some pretty good competition out there. Lots and lots of it. Just about anything a person could want, you can get in the form of a car. Nowadays, uh, Nowadays. Yeah. So with all this competition, all these cars on the market, how do you get repeat sales? Well, you got to make them last so long, and yeah. then they cost more to repair than... You have got to figure out a way to get some of these cars off the road that people are keeping. Because sure. you got to remember, every person that keeps a car to 200,000 miles, that's at least one more car they didn't sell. Exactly. And you keep it for 300,000 miles, that's two more cars they didn't sell. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and look at what the government did to us a while back. Mm-hmm. Cash for clunkers. Right. A lot of great cars. Yeah, a lot of decent cars. Got crushed. Got crushed. And it's sort of a multi-pronged approach that the manufacturers are taking. One is, okay, we're going to make the newer cars where, number one, they are very difficult to repair. Number Uh two, they are expensive to repair. Number three, they're not as durable as they were at one time. So when they get to a point, things are going to break that you can't readily fix. And we'll get into that in a second. Another thing is they start discontinuing parts. I was just fixing to say. So more and more you'll hear now, if you go down to, say, the Ford dealer with a car that's seven or eight years old, you may hear, well, those parts are discontinued. Right. Obsolete. Obsolete. We don't don't make them no more. That's right. And it's all, in my opinion, in an attempt to force people to buy cars. To get them out of that one into a new one. And they really don't want you to trade this car in. Now, the dealership does because he's going to make money selling the car again, but the manufacturer doesn't necessarily want this car traded in. Right. They want it crushed. Every used car is another car they potentially are not going to sell. That's right. So, yeah, if they could get you into just a lease-type program where you paid X number of dollars every month, at the end of the term, they crushed the car, they'd be pretty happy. Oh, yeah, they'd be ecstatic. Well, what they want is a paycheck coming in from every man, every woman in the United States forever. Uh Uh-huh perpetual income because that goes along with their old fixed overhead model that they've got that they can't really lower or get out of at this point in time so the point is they have made cars where they are incredibly more difficult to fix more complex more complex and when you go from say a four-speed transmission in a mid-90s to early 2000 car, which to, uh, probably cost 2500 to $3,000 somewhere to totally re- rebuild and put back into service, you go to, say, an eight-speed transmission. Yeah, guess what? Yeah. <laughs> Price well, just tripled. Yeah, I mean, you got twice as many moving parts. It's shifting twice as many times, so stuff wears out faster, and the cost is astronomical. You it may is. You may be five or $6,000 or more if it can be rebuilt because a lot of the CVTs and stuff can't even be rebuilt. You can't even get into them to do much of anything. And right. by the time they go, there's just nothing there left, nothing left to, work to work on. With. Not only that, but we can put a whole bunch of expensive modules and stuff on cars. And when this module goes down, the car quits working. Sure. Well, the first thing, well, can't you bypass it? No, you, no, can't. you can't. It's all integrated in. And when that manufacturer quits making that module, Guess what? And no longer supports it. And nobody else can fix it. That's right. It's sort yeah. of sort of kind of like if you had, say, an old IBM computer that operated on a tape drive. Right. right. Well, it might be in perfect working condition. You, just, you can't get a tape drive for it. And if you did, you couldn't talk to anybody because no one else has one, <laughs> and nobody can program it. Right. So it's become functionally obsolete. And the same thing is happening with cars. It's not like that 55 Chevrolet that you could pretty much keep rebuilding forever oh yeah you you had something there to work with i mean you had solid parts you had everything was of the day 
is still people are still around that can work on that well, kind of stuff. Well, it was basic physics and mechanics, and even if a part was not available, you could probably fabricate it. Just yeah, just about make one. Absolute worst case scenario, you could probably figure out a way to get around it. Or well, take a part off some other car. I was car just and, fixing to say, take yeah. a part off something else and make it work here. That's exactly right. And but with today's electronics, you just can't do that anymore. You're not going to be able to do that. So the point is, if you have to get more miles out of a car that is going to be incredibly expensive to repair, then the drive-to-fail, the run-to-fail model is it's not, not going to work out very well. I mean, if you've got an unlimited amount of money to throw at the problem, that's fine. Well, if you got enough money to, to, you know, when this one breaks, you just park it off in the yard and go buy another yeah, one. Yeah, well, and probably a person who feels that way or is in that particular position, he's better off leasing a car. Just lease oh, yeah. it, turn it in, and, and go on. The problem is he's literally renting a car. Well, yeah, when you get done paying that lease term, you have nothing. No equity. You hadn't gotten anything, and you'll be paying that for the rest of your life. That's if you want to drive. That's correct. And I am of the mindset i've got a car my new car i guess is 2005 so right it makes it what almost 12 well 11 years. years old 11 years old 167,000 miles on it just got back from williamsburg virginia drove it 3,000 miles didn't hiccup didn't think twice about getting and it and leaving haven't made a payment in years and years and years and years there you go but again that car has been maintained throughout its lifetime right That's, i didn't just wake up one morning and say hey wow i've got this many miles on it still runs good <laughs> still looks like new i mean there are going to be some people that do that just by the way things work mm-hmm. you know some people just get a good car and don't take care of it and it lasts forever right and some people go out and buy a new car and do take care week, of it do take care of it. next week they got problems it still could fail and that's just the nature of statistics right you can't take a sample of one you've got to look at a sample of several and you'll see trends sure you know if you take example of maybe one guy who started smoking when he was 15 years old now he's 90 years old he's never had any kind of problem well that's great he's just an incredibly robust guy he's just lucky as a devil right but if you look at a hundred thousand people who did that and a hundred thousand people who didn't do that you're going to see a clear pattern sure. that the ones who didn't do that are going to be a whole lot better off sure and it's the same thing with cars if you look at one person who maintained or didn't maintain his car, you may see almost anything. Right. If you look at 100,000 people who did and 100,000 people who did not, you're going to see a clear difference in the number of problems they have, the expense of the problems they have, and so on as that. Now, trying to remember how to maintain a car can be very difficult, very complex. Most people do not have the time to sit down, okay, at this many miles, I change the fuel filter, this uh-huh. many miles, service transmission, this many miles, at, at very, I do a radiator. At, at very miles. best, they have their receipts from when they had these pro- yeah. things done at in best. a folder somewhere that you have to sit down and go through and, and try to figure out. Well, that's right. But it's just very, very difficult to try to keep track of all that in your mind. Correct. So when we get back from this break, we're going to talk about a whole lot easier way to do that. Sounds Makes it great. a lot, lot easier for you. Hey, one more quick little break, and right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hi, folks. Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. This year, we celebrate 40 years in business, and, man, I can't believe all the calls we receive from national dignitaries. Louis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back. Lewis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> hey, Lewis, James here, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You're up now, you hear? 
Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us calls, 291-6901. We still have a few more minutes to That's get that question right. answered we for you. Sneak an answer or two in, right. I absolutely guarantee you. <laughs> we were talking about maintaining the car and the difficulty of trying to remember what to do, when, when to do it, because I get people in who do try to self-direct their service. They'll right. come in and say, okay, service the transmission, service this, service this, service this. I got this many miles. But inevitably, it seems they forget something. Uh-huh. And there well, is a much easier way. And not only that, but if you try to direct your service like that and you can't keep track of when you did it last, mm-hmm. you may be doing it too often. That's right. We've had people come in and say, I need you to service the transmission. You look in their file, and we've serviced transmission recently. And... Oh, I forgot. Right, exactly. So, you know, fortunately, we maintain records, so we can kind of tell you that. Uh-huh. Some shops don't. If you go in and ask for a transmission service, you're going to get one. Do a transmission service. That's right. So. But a much better way is to find a shop that you know or trust or you think is going to do good work for you, and once a year, bring it to them and have a general inspection. That is where they will go through the entire car, and I'm sure. I know at AGCO, we call it a general inspection. It's about a one-hour service. We go completely through the car. We check everything. We'll tell you everything that's necessary to keep the car in tip-top shape. Other shops, I'm sure, have similar type services. They may call it something different. You just have to talk with them and see what they call their service like that. But it's just much easier. It's even easier than what some of the manufacturers, where they've got a 15K service and a 30K service, because it's hard to keep up with all that. But if you just pick a month, whatever month, let's say December is good for you. Mm Mm-hmm. Every December, bring the car in, do that general inspection. You're probably never going to be behind on any of your service needs, and you probably won't need anything other than maybe an oil change until the next year. Sure. What you'll find when you start doing that is you are starting to prevent problems rather than waiting for it to break and fix them. For instance, that cabin filter that you changed today for $20 prevented that blower motor on the fan from blo- from burning up, right. or maybe even the air condition from failing, and so on. So you get to a point where you're being proactive. You're sure. starting to head off problems. Another thing, I know we'll get them in. We'll say, well, look, we see some rodent droppings under the hood of your car. Uh-huh. You probably need to get some mothballs, something, put them under the car. Well, what you did is you just preempted a expensive no repair of, of a rodent getting there and eating the wires because they wouldn't have known if you hadn't have told them. Right. You may say, look, this belt is starting to fray, so we're going to replace the belt. Well, that may prevent you from breaking down the 12-mile bridge, throwing a belt off, overheating the car, blowing a head gasket, and right. possibly taking an engine out. Some people never Plus open the, the hood on their car. Well, that's right. They never open the hood. The only they use the doors in the trunk. The hood never gets open well, on some vehicles. More and more, when they do open the hood, they just don't, don't know, know what they're looking at. Exactly. I mean, most of the engines are all covered with shields and protective devices to make them pretty and all. So right. there's not a whole lot you can see. And unless you've kept up with the automotive industry, you're probably not going to know what you're looking at anyway. A lot of things have changed. And not only that, but I always tell people when they go on a trip, get the car checked before you go and carry a cell phone. Well, get because, the car checked a couple of weeks before right, you go. Right, that's correct. But... If my car broke, with all of my knowledge of cars, 
there's not gonna be anything I'm gonna be able to do because I don't have a digital lab scope. I can't look at this injector and see if it's being exactly. pulsed or not. So the point is if you can preempt these problems, if you can head off the things that cause problems, you're gonna be so many dollars ahead in oh, the yeah. long run. Definitely. Get away from the run to fail type mentality because it's going to become more and more increasingly harder to do that particular style of driving. Let's go catch this last phone line here. We've got Dave online. Good morning, Dave. Hey, how y'all doing? Doing great, Good. sir. Uh, I have a one town and country, Chrysler. Mm-hmm. The air conditioner stays on. Okay. What's with that? Well, what do you mean when you say it stays on, Dave? It just runs even though it's turned off? When I turn the switch off of it, uh-huh. it goes to recirculate and stays on high. Okay, okay. Is it automatic temperature control? Yeah. It has cool. a little digital panel? When you say digital, yeah. Like a little digital readout, and you got buttons yeah. you push to do the different things, and it automatically maintains its own temperature? Yes. Yeah, most of the time, it's going to be something in that automatic temperature control system. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean the panel is bad, because you could have an actuator that's bad and starting to short out and freaking it out. I've even seen cases where something like a weak battery or a loose battery cable can cause that. Because when you start the car, all the little doors and actuators have to home each other. And they have to go to one extreme, the other extreme, and find out where the middle is. And let's say you're cranking the car and the battery's dropping down to, say, 11 volts when you're cranking. Well, 11 volts will crank the car just fine. You'll never know the difference. But that computer can't deal with it. So it may get out of time or out of sync. So when you go to turn it off, it may go to recirc or something like that. Now, there's also a possibility it could be that the ATC unit itself. Unfortunately, without some fairly sophisticated equipment, you're not going to be able to check a whole lot of that. I mean, it's not like a fuse or anything you could check. You're probably going to need to take that to someone with a Chrysler scan tool, and that does not need to be a Chrysler dealer. Almost any good shop is going to have the capability of checking that. They can plug in, and they can read what all the inputs and outputs are to the control panel. And if one of the outputs is not there, one of the inputs is not there, they address that. If they're all there and the unit itself is malfunctioning, then you'd have to address that. And those ATC units, when you replace them, because it is a little computer, it has to be reprogrammed to the car. So, unfortunately, it's probably not going to be anything you're going to be able to do yourself. I mean, other than you could always look on a dash, see if you see a loose wire or something, but very very unlikely anything you're going to be able to see or, or do anything with yourself. Make sure the battery cables are tight. Make sure your battery right. cables are good and tight. Clean, clean. Possibly have your battery tested. Make right. sure it's good and hot if it's old. You know, if it's more than three years old, you might even consider just replacing it. But there's not going to be a whole lot you're going to be able to do yourself with it. It's not even six months old that I know of. Yeah, yeah. Make sure the cables are good and tight on it because that is one thing we've seen happen a lot of times on those cars. And like I said, beyond that, you're going to have to get it to someone and let them test that ATC unit and see what's malfunctioning in there. Yeah, I, I have disconnected the battery and reconnected it after mm-hmm. about a minute or so here. Mm-hmm. A while. Mm-hmm. It's still doing it. Yeah, it made no difference. Yeah, that, that just clears out the data that they're going to need to fix it. So don't do that. They're going to need, they're going to need that fault code information. See, it's going to have fault codes stored in that particular module. You won't right. be able to see them with a code reader, but a guy with the right tool can go in and see the fault codes, and he can tell exactly where to start looking. So it's going to save you a lot of money if he knows where to start looking. It's not something that's going to turn a light on. No, it's not going to turn any kind of warning light on. It'll just be stored in the memory. Yeah. All righty. Thanks a lot. All right, Dave. All thanks, right, man. Then. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. You know, that's what vehicles have come to nowadays. you got a, a module that runs... Any, every, every module <laughs> that runs something in particular, 
let's just take in, for instance, window switch. Right. When you push that window switch down, you're sending a request to the body module. Mm-hmm. The body module looks around at the other modules to see if everything is where it's supposed to be, and then it sends a signal out to the module in the door to put the window down. Right. So you're not putting the window down with the no, switch. it's not an analog switch with an off-on. Like it used to be. And so, unfortunately, like we talked about earlier in the program, there's just less and less and less that you're going to be able to do yourself just because you don't have the tooling, the equipment, or the, the expertise, or any of that information or anything. If you looked at the back of this ATC unit, what you can see is probably about 150 different wires of different colors. Mm-hmm. Well, what does each one of those wires supposed to do? Right. Because if you start probing into them, you don't know what it's supposed to read. Is it supposed to read zero volts? Is it supposed to read one volt? Is it supposed to read five volts? Is it supposed to read 12 volts? Is it supposed to be a on variable off. signal? Is it a pulse width modulated signal that you can't read at all? Right. On and on and on and on it goes without knowing what each of these is supposed to read. And see, that's another problem. Very often people will see something like that and say, well, let's change the ATC unit. Right. Okay, well, but that's not going to do it because it could be the ambient temperature sensor under the hood is shorted out and and it's freaking freaking out that module. So you're going to have to have the tooling to hook up, go in, look at each of these inputs, then go in and test each of the outputs. Now, if all the inputs are there, all the outputs are there, you got power and ground to the unit, well, then we can assume the unit is bad. Mm-hmm. And even if you knew the unit was bad and you replaced it, you still couldn't program it. It's got to be programmed. Right. So more and more and more, there's just less and less and less that you'd be able to do with the car. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where it is going to be just exponentially less expensive to maintain a car than it has been even in the past. You know, when cars cost $3,000 and you could afford to trade them every three to five years, you pretty much could do nothing. Oh, yeah. And even and when they got to five or $6,000 and they weren't that expensive to fix, it wasn't a big deal. But as the cost of repair has just climbed, and, of course, a lot of it is the cost of the components in the car, but then, too, the training, the equipment, the cost of labor, the cost of rent that the shop pays, everything that a shop does has also gone up. Right. An equal amount with everything in our society. So the cost of repair, particularly quality repair, has gotten higher and higher. And the cost of non-quality repair is even higher now. <laughs> oh, it, it definitely. Definitely. So you know, the point is, you, you only, I guess the only way out for the average working person is to try to maintain what they have. And keep it going. Try to prevent as much as they can and try to lower their overall cost. Because when this thing does finally break and it's just too expensive to fix, then a replacement is going to be the only option. Well, you know, you were talking about earlier all the cars sitting in the junk. I've seen a lot of late model stuff, and I, I expect to see a lot of late, more late model stuff mm-hmm. in the near future just yeah. because the parts are going to get well, obsolete. Well, one and, major component fails. Right. You take, for instance, let's just let's say just a, a Prius, a, a Prius hybrid. Okay. When the starter goes out, it's part of the hybrid assembly. It's twelve thousand dollars. Yeah. So when the starter On a fails, eight year old car. Yeah, the car. Ten year old car is pretty much junk at that point. I mean, even the battery in that particular car might be six thousand dollars. Sure. But three to six thousand plus it has to be installed and yeah, yeah, yeah. So any one or two big components will pretty much total the car. That's right. And unfortunately, less and less used cars are available in the market because, as we talked about. It's more and more expensive to maintain, and 
people can't trade as often as they did at one time. So they're keeping the older they're ones. They're keeping the older ones. So going out and finding a late model cherry for 3000 bucks is and really not much of an option either. I mean, you might stagger upon one. Yeah. But that's a whole other subject. The odds are, yeah. <laughs> the odds are against you. So anyway, just good point. Get the car inspected once a year. Do the maintenance on it. It's going to be a whole lot cheaper for you down the road. Most definitely. Hey, we got to go and get on out of here. We'll tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening to us this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends and go to your favorite rebroadcast service. That's right. Give us a written rating if it's available. It kind of moves us up in the ratings where more oh. people can hear us. Yeah, the more written reviews we have, the more our name will come up when someone types in auto repair, so the more likelihood people tune into us. Hey, we're going to get on out here. Pre-Signal's opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Merry Christmas and have a great weekend.